1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12 this morning. How many of you have been with us for all or most of this book? Okay. How many of you have been with us mentally too? Okay. Um, if you have been, I think you would, at least I'm discovering this to be, I would call it a manual for living joyfully in the midst of trial and trouble. Peter writes this whole letter to a persecuted church. People who literally have reason to fear that they might be burned alive or uh, torn apart by, by wild animals. All because of the persecution. It was open season on Christians, the, the folks that Peter's writing to. Today's text, part of it is a familiar theme. If you've been with us, it's this idea that the battle for joy, no matter what your circumstances begins and ends in the mind. It's what you think about your circumstances and what you focus upon. So this morning, I've got an outline for you. I'm going to try to get right into the text, but I want to give you this outline that hopefully will help you uh, rightly divide the word this morning. Number one, there's three R's. The first R is for His ridiculous riches. And when I say ridiculous, I mean that in a good way. Meaning, we don't deserve this. This is crazy. I can't believe that he would bless us that way. His ridiculous riches. Number two, our reasonable response. And number three, the radiant result. We're going to spend quite a bit of time on those first two. And the the third one is just a result. So we'll just talk about it a little bit. Here we go. Number one, his ridiculous riches toward us. Peter says to believers... And remember, these guys have been probably thrown out of synagogues. They've probably lost much of their livelihood. These guys are like, as Jesus told them it would be, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. These guys are, okay, it's open season on us. Listen to these words that Peter writes to these guys. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. But, that is, in contrast to your persecutors, in contrast to those who will not set their their foundation, their life upon the cornerstone, Jesus. But, he says, instead of, instead of like they are, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And then skip over to verse 10, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You guys see in, in those many words there, that's a laundry list of God's ridiculous riches toward us. And again, we've seen this before from Peter to a persecuted church. Let, let me ask you, as, as bluntly as I know how, Christian, do you want to have joy in any circumstance? Or do you have to have your circumstances be just so, so that you'll have joy? Do you want to have joy in any circumstance like Paul did in on death row? like Peter did in prison. Once again, Peter takes us back to this this concept, which is take spiritual inventory. Just take stock of all of the things that God is doing and has done for you. Realize how ridiculously He has enriched you. Now, to help you in this this first R, His ridiculous riches, I have come up with a, a word for each one of these blessings that starts with P. I have come up with a plethora of prosperity and plenty. And those are for free. Those don't even count. You ready? Apparently not. 
All right, well, let's start anyway. First, notice that he has made us a people. That is, a group. Um, Look at all the corporate or community-type words that you're going to see in verses 9 and 10. There are absolutely no Lone Ranger words here. They are all three musketeer words, right? Um, Matter of fact, you guys uh, humor me a bit. We tried this first service. They weren't awake enough. Let's see if you guys do better. No pressure. See if, if... As I pause, I'll let you guys read the words that are corporate in nature. That is, belonging to all of us. Okay, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation or race, right? A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. Now skip down to verse 10. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. You see, it's a corporate thing. First on the list, if you're taking... If you're writing down P's of the the riches here, first on the list of God's ridiculous riches towards you is this, that you belong. You are a people. It's December, what, 6th, I think? It's that time of year, right? That time of year when claymation rules. You know what I'm talking about? When I say Rankin Bass, how many of you guys know what I mean? Rankin Bass. Okay, those are those little claymation TV series that, that you see. Uh, Frosty and yes, yeah, some of you are very familiar. <laughs> well, there's one called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. You guys remember the Land of Misfit Toys? Nobody wants a Charlie in the box. <laughs> see, everybody in the Land of Misfit Toys just wanted to belong. They just wanted to be loved. And Peter says right here in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says to every misfit down through history, to every misfit in this room that has given their life to Jesus, you belong. You are loved. He says you were not a people, now you are a people. He's taken us misfits and he has fit us into his plan for the world, his plan for the church. We are the church. We saw it last week. He's made us living stones. He's building his whole house with us. We were misfits, but he's made us fit. He has made us a people. It's awesome. But more than that, he's made us a picked people. That is a chosen people. I've got an illustration for you. I'm going to show it. Ready? Here's your, might take a little while. Figure it out. <laughs> I can tell you got it once you groaned. Yeah. <laughs> right in the middle of the produce aisle, Frosty gets caught picking his nose. See, the, the pun is that he is choosing his nose. Here's the point. You are not just a people. You are a chosen people. You are a picked people. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation. That means selected, picked. We, we talked about it last week. The, the, Christian, the, the whole world may not want you, but Jesus does. The Father does. We talked about it last week. It's like he stands on the playground and says, I want that one. He calls you by name. He chose you to be a part of this new people group. Matter of fact, the word generation there, chosen generation, it literally means a race. 
So he's talking about, hey, I'm starting a whole new people group, and I want you. This, this race is drawn from every earthly race, but it is made up to be citizens of heaven. How many of you have, have gone to a foreign country and, and worshipped there? Maybe a part of a mission trip, that kind of thing. Lisa and I went to Managua, and I think if you have, you, you know this to be true. You, you go and you sing a worship song, and you know the different words than the people next to you. But it's awesome. It's like, we're, we're a race. We're, we're a completely separate race than, than everybody else in, in the universe. We are chosen. We are part of His race that soars above our cultural divisions. But, but not only are we a picked people, but we are already priests in purple. See, purple was the color of royalty. And since it starts with a P, I had to use it. We are priests in purple. Look at verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Actually, we touched on this subject just barely last week, and we blew through it because I knew we were going to get here this morning. Verse 5 says that it's the first to mention of this great promotion that you've received. When you get, if you gave your life to Jesus, when you did, look at verse 5. It says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Y'all, that calls you priests and priestesses. Occasionally, again, we've mentioned this before, someone new to the fellowship might come up and call me Reverend Doug or Father Doug, which is even funnier. It's like, just call me whatever. I pretty much answered anything. But according to this verse, I am a priest. And so are you. If you've given your life to Jesus, he says you are a royal priesthood. If you want to, the next party, introduce yourself as, I'm priest so-and-so, and this is my wife, priestess. Okay, not a good idea. But, but the fact remains that It's a reality. You have received a rather decent promotion. Through Jesus Christ, verses 5 and 9 say, you basically went from rascal to righteous. You went from sinner to saint. You went from punk to priest. Your sin separated you from a holy God. But but Jesus tore the veil that separated you from the Holy of Holies, now we have access 24 hours a day. Whenever we want, we can walk right into the Holy of Holy, the throne room of God, with our prayers. It's amazing. You are, if you know Jesus, you are a priest or priestess. And, of course, that it follows, and we're going to talk more in a little bit, that with, as a priest you have rights, but you also have responsibilities. We'll talk about that in a little bit as we get done with this laundry list. But when you go through with it and go through it and you see his ridiculous riches, it's it's really amazing. Verse nine. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Again, it was the color of royalty. Interesting in the Old Testament. One thing that that God was very clear about is that kings were to be separate than priests. But in the New Testament. Jesus comes and he is king and priest. Then you go to Revelation and it says that he's made us kings and priests. So this is, you've been chosen to be a part of a whole new thing. Not only are we kings and priests, but we serve the king of kings. 
truly doesn't get any more prestigious or higher than that. So among our, among our ridiculous riches that have been given toward us are that we are picked people and we are priests in purple, but also, look at verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Does anyone here have an old King James that you have with you right now? Oh, can you read verse uh, 9 for me? What's that? Oh, okay. All right, I'll do, I'll do it for you. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's what it says in the old King James. Sometimes you just can't get any better than that because we are peculiar. Some of you are like, yeah, you could say that again. And Christians are peculiar people, special people. Interesting, though, the, the, the thought that is more co- closely corresponds to that idea that we're different is not really that, that's, uh, where it says special people, but the previous phrase, a holy nation. Because holy means set apart, different. Not in a weird way, in a good way. Again, this is not a bad promotion when you think about it. You were, according to the Bible, when you were in your sin, when you had no redemption, you were part of a faceless crowd. You were a number in the system. But God has chosen you. And He's set you apart for a specific purpose. He's made you a part of His holy, that is, set-apart nation, His church. Now, the next phrase there, where it says special people or peculiar people, I think best would actually be rendered this way. Prized, purchased, possession. See, where Peter is going here, if you've been following through, these guys have been kicked out of the synagogue, right? And some of them were, were Jews by, uh, by race, and some of them were uh, not, were Gentiles. But Peter is trying to communicate to them, look, no matter if they kick you out of the church, you are the church. So it's interesting. You find very similar phrases to the one that that Peter's writing here in verse 9. In Deuteronomy 14, you can check me out later if you like, and Deuteronomy 7. Let me read to you from Deuteronomy 7. This is when God spoke to Israel, right? The chosen people. Deuteronomy 7, 6. He says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. You see what's going on? Peter's going, it doesn't matter if they kick you out. You are God's chosen people. He's You're a special race that's separate, that's, that's made up of uh, the earthly races here. But you are his chosen, treasured people. So Peter says that to not only them, but down through the ages now, you and me. Think of it, guys. This says that you are his prized possession. That's what it re- literally means. That he's purchased you. And what was the ransom? The precious blood of Jesus, his son, Right? His only begotten Son, He gave Him that He might purchase you. So the the list of ridiculous riches just keeps growing. And harder to say. A people picked to be priests in purple, a peculiar purchased people, His prized possessions. Verse 10. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. We cover that idea. Now watch. 
who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Here's your last P in the list of riches. Pardoned. You are a pardoned people. See the word mercy there? It means to help the afflicted, to bring help to the wretched. Again, the the Jews used to have a phrase about the Gentiles. If you're a Gentile here this morning, back in that day, they would call you uh, basically fodder for the fires of hell. That you were created to make hell hotter. (laughs) Does that make you feel good? Peter says, look, just to put this in perspective for you, you were hell's fodder and now God has made you priests. That's a pretty good promotion. You were wretched beyond help and God sent help. You were prisoners. God sent a pardon. You had not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. Seems like the only application, the only illustration you can give at that point is amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I hope you're getting the sense. And again, I know as we read through this, it can be just come words and we can be tired and not think about it. But I hope you're getting a sense of God's ridiculous riches toward you and me. He's pardoned us. And more than that, he's promoted us to be, get ready, a people picked to be priests in purple, peculiar purchased people, his prized pardoned possessions. Anybody else want to say that? Here's the thing. With all those riches, and here comes the application part, guys. With all those riches, don't you want to do something? Don't you want to do something in response to his goodness? That whole first section was his ridiculous riches. Here's the second part. Our reasonable response. What's our reasonable response to his riches given to us beyond reason? What's proper protocol for such promoted, privileged priests? What's the application? And we're big on application here. Well, turn to look at verse 5 and you'll see it. First one, that is. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're backing up to verse 5 because we left it undone until now. You also, as as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Here's your first application. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's taken you, a sinner, and made you a saint. He's taken you, a rascal, and made you righteous. He's taken you, a punk, and made you a priest. And what do priests do? Offer up sacrifices. It's your, it's your only reasonable response. Priests offer up sacrifices. And what Peter is making here, he's saying, look, the, the whole sacrificial system is, is no more. What we offer now is, he says, spiritual sacrifices. He says, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ because Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, right? The the lamb slain uh, without spot before the foundations of the world. So Peter says, once again, look, the tables are turned. They kicked you out. They don't think that you're anybody. But in fact, you're priests who have the ability and the privilege and the right to go and offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, what might those be? I mean... What do you offer 
up to God in light of his ridiculous riches to you. It's the Christmas season, the season of giving. Do any of you, can you think of somebody that is really hard to buy for? Because they seem to have everything. They just, they don't need anything. Well, what do you give to God who has everything? What possibly could you give him that he needs? Well, nothing. But what could you give him that he wants? You. That's the shortest answer. Matter of fact, you know how you go to a store shopping for someone and you're looking and, you know, they, they don't need anything. And you're like, wow, I could really use that. <laughs> That's really, I think I, I saw recently, I'm trying to pull this up out of my memory. Things, husbands, not to give your wives. Stuff that you actually want. <laughs> but because he has no need of anything, what you can deduce from the fact that he's already purchased you that that's what he wants is you. What do you give to a God who has everything? Put a big bow on yourself. Okay, not literally, but in your mind, right? And give it to him. And some of you are probably thinking, I mean, you say to the Father, Father, here's your present, it's me. Some of you are thinking, well, that's not much. Well, to him, it's priceless. It's precious. He's already paid the ultimate price for it. So the first best spiritual sacrifice to offer up is you. And let me break that down for you in case it's just like, okay, what do you mean? Well, here's some ideas. Offer up to him before you leave the sanctuary all of your future, all of your finances, all of your family, all of you, your will, your wallet, your well-being, your health, your happiness, your habits. And offer up to Him literally your hands, your feet, your eyes. See, Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. And then it says, acceptable to God. Very similar phrasing here, which is your reasonable service. Both places, it basically says, look, you're a priest. The thing to give up is you. It's your reasonable service. Your, your body's a living sacrifice. And probably many of you heard one of the problems with a living sacrifice is that they wiggle off the altar so often. So here's an application. Before you leave here, offer up to him, all of you. But more than that, because I know you, you're like me, you wiggle. Every day this week, before your feet hit the floor, literally offer up your body to Him. Lord, here's my hands. Let them only do what you want me to do. Here's my eyes. Let them only see what you want me to see. Here's my ears. Here's my tongue, Lord. All of it. Offer up a living sacrifice. And again, I'm amazed that my body could ever be considered acceptable to God. But verse 5 says that it's because it's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Right? So the short, broad answer of first thing to offer as a priest is you. But Peter gets more specific. And this the reason that this lesson, I think, uh, got long for me... Um, 
is that there's so many ways that you can apply this. So I hope, um, my prayer actually, just back there before we started, was that we wouldn't get lost in the weeds. That the Lord would speak to you that specifically what you can do. One or two things. Don't try to do 12 different things. There's so many applications here that you can do. Second one. That, that a priest would offer besides the, the living sacrifice would be this, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The second sacrifice that you might give would be the sacrifice of praise. It says that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your reasonable response, your priestly protocol to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The word proclaim there is exagalo. And listen, it's a very, very public word. It means to tell out, to tell forth, to declare abroad, to publish to make known by praising or proclaiming, to celebrate. Let me ask you a pointed question. I'm asking myself as well. In light of all of the previously mentioned goodness that he's given to you, are you going public with his goodness? This isn't in my notes, and I shared it at first service as well. It's striking to me and convicting. There are... People, even this last week, who are going public with their darkness, who are saying, I'm, I'm this way and God made me this way and I'm proud of it. And it's darkness. Can we not go public that he's taken us out of darkness into his glorious light? See, you were, according to the scriptures we just looked at, you are a prisoner set free. You are a punk turned priest. You are a dweller in darkness, and now you've been liberated by light. Are you going public? I mean, that's your reasonable response to the ridiculous riches that he's given to you. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. you can write it down by way of application. It says, therefore, by him, let us continually, continually, by the way, offer up the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Now, hopefully you see this. This doesn't mean you have to necessarily go to the first person you see and say, Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior? But what about, God has been so good to me. Here's the thing. I, I, this is the way I behaved here. We, we heard examples of it two weeks ago here. And everybody went away going, oh, Wow, that's amazing. God is so good. Why? Because people were proclaiming His praises. That God had brought them out of darkness into His glorious light. Now here's the thing. My mind goes, and I think it's because I'm sympathetic. I didn't say pathetic. I said sympathetic. My mind goes to the person in the room right now who is, you love Jesus, you're, you're committed to Him. But when you hear that it's your reasonable service to offer up the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of your lips, thanksgiving, it's hard for you. Because, not because you don't love Jesus, but because you're shy. You're, it's just not part of your normal makeup. 
you're probably thinking, I know I shouldn't be, but I am embarrassed because, not because I don't love Jesus, but because I don't like the spotlight. I think God sometimes, he often works this way, but I think one of the reasons God made me the pastor, the guy who plays and sings and talks, is because I get that. That's who I am. In my core, in my nature, I am not an outgoing person. I know whenever I say it, some people are like, but it's true. I, that's not what I prefer. What I prefer is to just kind of have just a, a few friends and just like kind of stay in my own little shell. I get that. I totally get that. So how about this? Rather than me telling you, because of his ridiculous riches, that you ought to just be bursting with praise and what's your problem? Rather than that, what if I point out to you that Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. That maybe it's for you it's a sacrifice. See, David said, I will not offer up to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Maybe there's people in the room right now that what it's going to cost you is your comfort level. That like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to going to say something here. Maybe there's, for instance, you know, this this works in the corporate setting and, and just when you're out on your own as well. Maybe there's somebody here today even, what the Lord has shown you, I was, I was so blessed when we were, were uh, playing, when we hit the first song and see a bunch of hands go up. It's like, I, I'm not sure where your background is. And believe me, I was, I was so conservative, like even the Baptist probably would look at me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Come on, what's your problem? Um, what I've learned over the years as far as raising your hand, and again, nobody's going to look at you and, and judge you one way or the other, but as you, between you and the Lord, if the Lord is telling you, look, I want you to raise your hands to me as an act of surrender. Right? That's what raising your hands means. If He's telling you that and you're like, but people will watch me or look at me. Well, there's the sacrifice. That's what it costs you to, to focus upon Him and say, you know what, let the chips fall where they may. Um, maybe for some of you, the, the idea of just sharing your faith, speaking of His goodness, is mortifying to you. Not because, again, you don't love Him, but because talking is mortifying to you. Well, it's a sacrifice. What about thinking of it this way, sacrificing your comfort to share about His goodness. It's a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, the the giving of thanks to His name. According to the Scriptures, priests and priestesses, it is your reasonable service. We are peculiar, precious, prized, pardoned, purchased possessions of Christ. It is part of our reasonable response. Look at verse 9 now. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, one more thing. One more thing in our reasonable response. You ready? Verse 11. It says, beloved. By the way, it's a beautiful word. It just means little loved ones. 
Beloved, um, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Okay, you all focus with me here? All right. Gentile, when you see that word, you instantly think of a racial word. Peter is using it once again um, in context of what he's trying to get across here. Um, Gentiles is not a race... um, the way that Peter's using it. Let let me explain it the best I can. In the Old Testament, the Jews were chosen by God, right? They were the oddballs surrounded by the Gentiles, right? Now Peter says, guess what, guys? You are the oddballs (laughs) surrounded by the Gentiles. He's referring to unbelievers, okay? Um, Peter says, look, I beg you, in light of the fact that you are sojourners, and pilgrims. How many have been with us if we've explained those words, sojourners and pilgrims? Okay, I better do it again real quick. Um, what it means is sojourner, pilgrim, it means that we are foreigners, that is, we're temporary dwellers here on this ball of dirt. We're not permanent citizens. We're temporary dwellers. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are those that the word sojourner... Uh, means literally those who dwell alongside the natives, but they're different. So Peter says, Beloved, I beg you, in light of the fact that you're you're here, but you don't belong here, in light of the fact that your citizenship is somewhere else, in light of the fact that this world is not your home, you're just a passing through, here comes, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Let me boil it down for you, what he's saying here in verse uh, 11. Ready? Peter says, you are different. So be different. You're different. You're called to be different. He's made you different. So be different. He says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The word war there is stratio. It's just like you might think. It means it's a military expedition. It's a strategy. He says these fleshly lusts are having a campaign against your soul. You guys see, it's a picture of the old you waging military campaign against the new, the real you. Don't don't miss this. Um, The devil and the world and your old self... Sometimes I think you think, we think, well, they're just kind of sitting around on a couch somewhere hating us. No, this says that they have a strategy. They're actively conspiring against you. Now, the question is, how are we responding? Christian, if you're a Christian, you can truthfully say, I have met the enemy and he is the old me. Now, we don't have time to go into this at length, but I've got to take you here real quick. Uh, Just write down the the Scripture verse, Galatians chapter 5. Because this is really uh, critical in in the way things, in in what Peter's trying to say here. He's like, look, your, your flesh wars against your soul. Galatians 5 says that your flesh wars against your spirit. Uh, against strateo or warfare. The idea is that these two are opposed to one another. Okay? Your, your old man and your new man. 
And the best strategy that I can give you, and this is important, because let me phrase it this way. If I tell you, okay, whatever you do, abstain from fleshly lusts. Some of you are going, oh, I know what lust he's thinking of. Hmm. Start. What if I tell you, don't think of that white elephant, what do you think of? Okay? If you take this to mean abstain from fleshly less meaning, okay, better not, better not think, okay, don't think about the, oh, you're, you're sunk. But if you go to Galatians 5, 16, it says this, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Some of you guys heard about the, uh, the Eskimo who made lots and lots of money one winter because he had two dogs and he would bet on one or the other. And he won every single time. And finally somebody asked me, how, how is it that you can predict every single time which of your dogs is going to win? He's like, it's the one I feed. The flesh, the spirit, one of them is going to win. It's the one you feed. Okay? So write down Galatians 5.16 because Peter says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Here, guys, is what's at stake. Here's what's at stake. Your flesh is warring against your soul because it doesn't want to see this good result we're going to see here in verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that is, your unbelieving neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, all the people that are now ridiculing you, having your conduct honorable among them, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Here's what Peter's, where he's going with this. He speaks to you, Christian, sojourner, pilgrim, priest. He says, look, speak right, live right. Whatever you do, win the battle over your flesh. And here's why. For the sake of the unbeliever's around you. Did you hear that? Please, please, he says, win this battle. Don't just sit around while the enemy strategizes against you, while your flesh strategizes against you. Please win this battle because of the people watching the battle. He says that when they speak evil or when they speak against you as evil doers, stop there. Notice. Not if they speak against you as evil doers, when they speak against you as evil doers. That when they do, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. There's some mystery on that last phrase, whether that means the day when Jesus comes back back and, and shows that you were right all along. Or presumably, or maybe both, uh, the second interpretation, which, which I like, is that the day of visitation, when, uh, when that believer who hated you and persecuted you, when they actually come to repentance... And they go, wow, you were part of the picture that, that led me to the Lord. Because no matter how I treated you, you seemed to always take it and you always talked about the Lord. I never could break you. That's, that's the idea. Here's the thing, though. Back up. In this text, I can feel myself getting tired. So that's why I'm like trying to make sure everybody's still here with me. This text takes as a given this reality. You ready? Many unbelievers... Because they want to quell their conscience, their conscience is yelling at them. Many of them are desperately looking for a reason not to believe. Does that make sense? The, Christ, the, the world, Christian, is not going to give you a pass. 
They're not going to say, well, you know, everybody makes mistakes. Usually they'll say everybody makes mistakes except those Christians are not allowed. See, if you fail as a priest to rightly represent your king and your savior, then in their minds they get to go, oh, see, I was afraid it was real. But now, but now I, I can put that decision off for a little bit because it's just one more hypocrite. See, we've seen this played out over and over again, right? The world sees another Christian fall. They think hypocrite and they put off that decision for Christ for another day. And some of them maybe. One day too late. See, Peter says, look, they will speak of you as evil doers. He doesn't even entertain the thought that they won't. He says they will. Here's the thing, guys. Peter is saying, don't let them be right. They're going to speak of you as evil doers. They're going to call you um, intolerant. They're going to call you all of those things. They're going to... Call you a hypocrite. Don't let them be right. Now watch. In contrast, now look back at verse 12. It says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. The word honorable, kalos, I love this. It means beautiful, handsome, excellent, eminent, choice, surpassing, precious, useful, suitable, commendable, admirable. In general, guys, it means attractive or winsome. As in winsome to Christ. See, the picture is, you can insert your own particular picture here, but like your unbelieving boss, right? Your neighbor, your family, the the person who rails against you, maybe your political adversary who speaks evil against you, and they, they will time and time again, the, the picture is of them running up against this reality, that you're just beautiful. And I don't mean physically. You're just so honorable and genuine and real and helpful and useful and admirable and win some. And then you win some to Christ. You guys want a practical application this week? All right. Here it is. Do something completely unexpected to bless the person who's speaking evil of you. Bless their socks off and do it in Jesus' name. If they, if they ask you, what was all that about? We, we talked in church and I just wanted to do that because Jesus loves me. He's told me to love you. If you want to do something selfless, costly, unexpected, undeserved for those who speak evil against you, as an added bonus, it will completely freak them out. That's just a bonus, though. That's not the main thing. Um, there's Joe. He, he and I have coffee sometimes. He uh, shared with me something that he does. Sometimes he goes to a coffee shop or some other place. and uh, I guess this, I'm hoping this is okay. He's okay. <laughs> um, He'll go and he'll pay for, okay, the next five people that come. I uh, want you to, here's money for them. I want you to, to treat them for coffee and just tell them that Jesus loves them. That's pretty cool. And maybe some of you are like, hey, that's pretty cool. I can do that. I can see myself doing that to total strangers. But you're asking me to do that for someone who rails against me? Well, yeah. Because that's what Peter's asking. 
look at it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct winsome, beautiful, attractive among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, they see it with their own eyes, even though their lips are saying something else about you, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. So we've seen his ridiculous riches toward us. We've seen what should be our reasonable response. That last phrase of of verse 12, that they may glorify God. I, I promise it won't be a long point, but this third point is this. The radiant result is that others, some of them, who might be speaking evil against you right now, will glorify God in the day of visitation. See, the radiant result that Peter is looking for is that your works in the midst of really dark circumstances would shine. Now, that might be persecution or it might be trials that you're going through. But that you personally, as a light of the world, would shine forth in the darkness. Turn to Matthew 5 and let me remind you of something as you do. Matthew chapter 5. If any of you have uh, known or ever done it yourself, sold diamonds... You know that the way to really sell a diamond is to, to put, shine a light on it and put it against the darkest possible backdrop. It shows the beauty of that diamond and how it reflects the light, right? Well, what Peter is suggesting is, look, your circumstances are really dark. Everything around you is dark. I want you to shine. Matthew chapter 5, once again, as in all things, we're like... Somebody mentioned to me this morning right after the first service, he's like, you know, it's amazing that Peter, this fisherman, has the wisdom of a lawyer. I mean, the things, the way he phrases things, it's amazing. This guy is so smart. Well, he learned it all from Jesus. Because you could take the lessons that we're learning right now and compare them here with what we're going to read in Matthew chapter 5. And you're like, oh, that's where he got it. You could say that, that Jesus could write... First Peter, well, matter of fact, he did. He wrote First Peter. He just happened to use Peter's hand, right? So here we go. Matthew chapter 5, the whole, the whole uh, chapter, if, you, if you're familiar with it, is the Beatitudes, right? The blessed are you when those things, right? What's the word blessed mean? Happy. Or probably more correctly in our uh, terms, joyous. That means that you're happy, uh, you're joyous, even when your circumstances are, are not so good. Watch this, Matthew chapter 5, after all the blesseds, look at verse 11. Blessed, or happy, or joyous, are you when they, what? Revile and persecute you? And say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, Peter agrees, Paul agrees, and Jesus agrees, you can be Blessed, happy in the worst of circumstances against the darkest backdrop. Now watch Matthew 5, 13. These are the words of your king. If you've given your life to him, these are words that he speaks to his servants. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor because of circumstances or any other thing, the salt loses its flavor How shall it be seasoned? 
It has been good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. They, they want to trample you or your ideas, your philosophies, what you say about Jesus. They want to throw that away. They want to trample over it. It says, verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, I would say even in the darkest of circumstances, especially in the darkest of circumstances. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify. There's your radiant result, your Father in heaven. You guys see it? Peter's message is exactly the same. We're closing now. To a world that is rotting, you are salt. So Peter would say, Jesus would say, be salty. To a world that is in darkness, you are light. You were once in darkness, but now he's brought you into his glorious light. Proclaim it. Proclaim his goodness. Let your light so shine before men that even in persecution and trial and trouble especially in those things, against that backdrop, they see your good works and they glorify your Father in heaven. Promise if you do, you will win some. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy your goodness. Thank you for the faithful, Lord, that you brought here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and what you're up to. Please help us, Lord. Uh, we, I, I confess and recognize, Lord, that I'm nothing apart from you. Lord, that um, I don't even have the ability to understand these things. Lord, but when you come and, and you empower me and you give me your spirit, Lord, I can do all things as you strengthen me. Lord, the, the decisions that need to be made, the uh, commitments that need to be made, uh, whatever it is, Lord, that you're, you're trying to uh, speak to us, Lord, give us those ears to hear, but more than that, hearts to obey. Help us to make real decisions for you this morning, that you might be glorified, that we might win some. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.